0: we're three brothers who have learned how to get along. All that fighting ended 10 years ago. But I have two very operationally gifted brothers and I'm the visionary. I'm the daydreamer, I'm the big picture guy, I'm the oldest. The other two are very comfortable in that operational space and just don't have that gift of vision. But if I try and run with something, I end up screwing it up because I only think of half the details. And their new ideas often get so complex that it's like a workout but you blend the three of us together and it comes out really nicely. But it means that I come up with an idea or I daydream something that we should chase. And then they say, good job, now go away. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I want to play. Did you yeah. This is a great idea. Why do I have to go? And they're like, because you're stuck at this. And I'm like, oh, okay, fine. And so then I go away and I try and daydream something else. And I come back with something else. And they're like, hey, we're not done with that thing you put us on the first time. And I'm like, oh, I got to wait. Yeah, right. No, let's, so the you, you're the, like the life of the visionary.
1: Welcome to the Franchise Founders Podcast. We are on a mission to help inspiring entrepreneurs just like you take action through franchise ownership, allowing you to obtain more financial freedom, time with family, and ultimately a business that can run on its own without you. Hello. Listeners of Franchise Founders Podcast, thank you for tuning in to another episode. I'm excited with my guest today, Kelsey Stewart, one of the founders of Blooming Blinds. He's also the CEO of the franchise organization. And building Blooming Blinds, he's over 20 years of personal experience in his tool belt. Kelsey has a passion for sharing the family's vast knowledge of the window covering industry with franchise owners. And in his spare time, while not running the company... You'll find Kelsey at one of his daughter's softball games on a hike, in the mountains or frolicking the surf on the Florida coast. And for the record, softball games seem to occur far more frequently than the other two options. (laughs) And I'm really excited about this episode for a multitude of reasons. I had been talking with Kelsey for a bit. We were trying to get this call scheduled. I had travels interrupting us over and over and technical issues. So we're finally here. How
0: are you, Kelsey? Hey, Dan. I'm good, man. It was a bit of a journey, but we're here. And that's when you know it's important when you keep up the journey, right? Well, I've made a new rule that I will follow from here
1: on out. Well, first of all, I was on the road every week for the past few months. And I would try to squeeze in podcast episodes on the road where inevitably something would go wrong. So no more episodes on the road. But thankfully, I'm also not on the road for a while
0: either after one more trip this week. so. You know, that's funny. I also developed a new rule for my life. Also, because I've been on the road quite a bit for different conferences, and it is a one-bar rule. Everything bad happens at the second bar or beyond. Yes. So now it's a one-bar rule.
1: I like that rule. Or like, what's the? what did our dads, you know, our parents tell us? Nothing good after midnight happens? (laughs) And oddly enough, they're probably right. I think so. At least with, you know, things like that. I always found my dad was always... What's it say? He was wrong until I
0: was 25. Then every, all of a sudden, he was always right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mine, I actually wrote my dad a note once and I just said, I'm sorry, you were right. <laughs> <Did> you really? <laughs> I didn't even explain what the topic was. It was just once I had kids, I was like, oh, yep, now I get it. Okay.
1: <laughs> well, I guess to start, Kelsey, could you just give the background?
0: What's the story? How did Bloom and Blinds come to be? So th- the story is long and distinguished to use a Top Gun reference. Bloom and Blinds is the second iteration of our family business. So my mom started a blind company when I was in high school and college. So we're a family company. Mom started the whole thing. I'm one of three brothers who now operates company. But while we were in high school, mom started a blind company all by herself, one woman show in Seattle. Ran that company by herself for seven years um, and started off on the maintenance side. So she started off buying a blind cleaning tank thinking she was going to rule the world cleaning one blind at a time. Ironically, everyone who called her was looking for blind repair. And so she ended up cleaning some blinds, but she also, through that process, learned how to repair and fix them, and then slowly got into sales, which is the exact opposite of what the window covering industry normally does. So mom ran that company for seven years. After a divorce, she wanted out of town and ended up selling that company and everything else and moving to Dallas. When she got to Dallas, that's where Bloom & Blinds was founded. Ironically, not ironically, interestingly, um, September 11, 2001. That's our birthday as a company, is the morning of. And so Bloom & Blinds started yet again as a one-woman operation. And then within a couple months, she had an issue where she couldn't go out on appointments. And so my brother Chris was living with her at the time. And she said, hey, Chris, I need you to go out and go service my customers. No training, no information, no nothing. Just, hey, buddy, can't let him down. Go figure it out. And so he took off in a white Chevy Lumina with maroon interior and a ladder hanging out the window and took off to go figure out what mom needed done. And he's never left the company since. Over time, I jumped in about eight months later. My youngest brother jumped in about three years later. And over the course of the next 18 years, Bloom and Blinds was just a family business. We just ran a blind company in Dallas. It was mom and her boys and a couple of employees eventually. Built it up to about $3 million a year. And that was good. That was fun. But we knew we had something different. And we knew we wanted to grow beyond just that big owner-operator model. And so we were, we were debating between, do we franchise the business or do we do company stores? And... We didn't want to break up the family unit, but and we kind of thought if we did company stores, you know, one brother goes to San Antonio, the other one goes to Oklahoma City. And we've learned to enjoy working shoulder to shoulder. We've done it for a long time. And so we decided franchising was a better route. Let other people learn how to do what we do and go through those challenges versus the company store. Franchised it in 2014, first location opened in 2015. Here we are, 2022. And we just crossed over the 100 unit mark um, and pretty excited about that. So we're seven years in now. It's excellent.
1: And a really great story, right? Family business, still family business all together. Yep.
0: Well, mom's retired, but the boys and I, we run the company now.
1: And I'm sure she's
0: uh, behind the scenes sometimes, maybe. Honestly, soon as it's kind of funny, it's classic like new generation. Even in the Dallas office before we franchised, the moment we started adding like a CRM, she started to back out. As like, soon as the business got off paper, mm. she was like, mm, not so sure I know what you're doing anymore. And those last couple of years, there was a, a gradual transition of, of responsibility and power. As we got more technical, she got less involved. So now, I mean, she's still part of the owner. She still gets her checks. But she hasn't been in the building for a while. It's interesting. Once you start deploying like best practices
1: into a business you know, with a founder or, you know, an entrepreneur that maybe
0: doesn't know those things, it, it usually causes some friction. Yeah, the business was evolving, and she wasn't necessarily driving that evolution. And so it's a classic control issue. Like, you're telling me to change, but I didn't say I wanted to. And I see that it's good for everybody. So let me just get out of the way. Yeah,
1: you know, it's interesting. It's like, I learned that somewhat recently about some of these fundamental best practices you can put into a business across... When we're, before we started recording, we were chatting about this, how you know a lot of things are kind of a widget in a business where you know processes and you put them in place. I had that realization when I really started to learn more and more about private equity and, and saying to myself, how do they get into any vertical and be able to exponentially grow the business and improve it without being in that space? And of course, they rely on a, a founder to be you know the expertise person. But... They're putting best practices in a place that I'm sure you've learned over time and you and your brothers put into your business,
0: yeah, well, of <laughs> the ones we've discovered, I'm sure there's more that we'll discover, yeah, but yeah, you know, whether you're baking a chocolate cake or a vanilla cake, there's still the fundamentals of the chemistry of baking, right, and once you understand those those fundamentals, like you said, the widget is i mean it matters to a, a minor degree, but that's the job, not the business, the business is a consistent process and formula. Right. Like when I think of your business,
1: and I don't know as much as you do, of course, but if I think from just the outside layer, you've got sales and marketing, you know, bringing in leads, talking to those leads, getting them sold and wanting to work with you. You've got client service, you've got the technical work, the finance end of it. So let's touch into that. I was, I was excited to talk about, before we started recording, you're talking about your call center and how you made the decision to do that Internally, not outsource it. Can you talk to that decision and you know
0: what motivated that? Yeah. Well, again, process, especially in home service. I mean, anyone who's been in home service for a while knows the one of the first main tenants of success is answering the phone. Right? Because if I need a plumber and I get a voicemail, I may leave a voicemail, but I'm definitely calling somebody else. I'm going until I get a live voice. So Early in the franchise, most of our owners were owner-operators. We're beginning to shift out of that, move into more of like managers who have employees and technicians. But you know, three, four, five years ago, it was almost entirely owner-operators. And they were getting busy. And they were having trouble answering their phones. So a couple years ago, I ran a report just to see what the actual call-to-answer ratio was. And I had a franchise owner who was struggling, which is why I was looking. But his answer rate was 9%. He literally answered the phone 9% of the time. Oddly enough, his sales were struggling. And <laughs> <laughs> and, and I've always known this to be a problem because I grew up in the industry. But that was the key moment. That was the definitive moment where I said, okay, we've got to help these guys answer their phones one way or another. So then we began to explore various outsourced call centers, which for my purpose, I equate to a live answering machine. It's a live voicemail because they can't... Maybe they can schedule, which is... Beneficial. But in our industry, I know from experience, customers are calling in with some sort of question. You know, hey, my twisty thing isn't working. Can you fix it? Or hey, you know, I'm looking for a Roman shade. Can you guys motorize those up and down and make it talk to Alexa? We get those conversations before they make an appointment. And I was afraid and I was quite confident that an outsourced answering team, I couldn't possibly teach them that in a short amount of time when they're juggling multiple brands. And so for us, it was very important that anyone answering the phone on our side knew the language, they knew our dialect and how to answer those calls for the customer, and that the customer felt like they were talking to someone who had an authority in the matter, thus making them more likely to make an appointment with us versus someone else. So we have six full-time team members. We're actually actively looking to hire another one. And they range... On Central Time Zone, we're in the office at 7 in the morning, and we're here till 8 o'clock at night, Monday through Friday. And that's going to capture probably 95% of our business because we are a 9-to-5 business.
1: How many callers are in the seat every hour?
0: Two, three, one? Well, in the morning, there's always at least two. We're using Ring Central and there's a queue system in there, but nobody wants the caller to go to queue. So there's always at least two, but our peak call times are from about ten o'clock to two o'clock. And so there's five on staff from ten to two at all times.
1: And you use ring central. How do you track like KPIs? That's interesting. So you ring central, there's queue in Ring Central. I guess your CRM is tracking all of the
0: Right. Everything's coming in through a call tracking number. Yeah. So we're able to see how they got to us, what numbers they're calling, what leads they hit, or what ads they clicked on or from. So I've got all of that on the lead management side. And then the Ring Central side is helping us with like lead to appointment ratios, um, average call time. Like I'm able to track my answer ratio is 97.4%. I know that my appointment booking rate is 93%. And so between the different softwares that we have, not Ring Central doesn't give us all of that, but if we correlate data together, then we can figure out those KPIs and ratios.
1: What you do is a great value add for the franchisee, because it's not easy running a call center of any sort. I've had call center in New Jersey, I've had call center in Mexico, outsourced in the Philippines and in India, took it back in-house, didn't want to outsource the accountant similar to what you said. It's not easy getting those KPIs down and that's a great value add, right? Because I just I think about my my cousin who has a drape business drape cleaning okay and if it could be christmas eve if this phone angie list comes in he's going outside and he's calling it the because because he needs to but you know you're taking that off their plate so that happens and then you schedule the appointment and then who's going your the owner goes or is the salesperson i guess it depends on each
0: business each franchisee yeah i mean if it's an owner operator then the owner of the business is going because our owner operators. Generally, are either husband and wife teams or one man band, where a lot more of our owners recently they're either the general manager and they have technicians, so they have you know they have guys in vans that go, or they have already got they're even one step further removed. They've hired a general manager who has hired technicians, and either case, the GM or the owner is getting the phone call. Or, I'm sorry, they're not even getting the call; they're just seeing it on the schedule because we schedule them for. Them. So. Within our system, we have color codes for skills and responsibilities. So depending on the need that we hear on the phone, we can see who's available for that location. The color codes tell us who's good at which particular element of our business, and then we schedule accordingly. Interesting. And then
1: in the owner-operator side, the business owner goes, does the appointment, does the sale,
0: and then what's the next step after that? So you've got three main components of our business. And In Your Day could be comprised of any of these three. This is part of what makes the business interesting is no day is the same. You're not even close. right? You've got sales, you've got install, and then we have the unique ability to repair. No one else in the window covering industry makes a business out of repairing blinds that they didn't put in. So we're capable of putting things back together even if we didn't sell them. So to use your example, sales appointment. The, in a one-man show, business owner goes out, consults with the customer, provides a quote. Assuming the customer says yes, then we collect a 50% deposit, order the product from the factory. Two to three weeks later, if it's a one-man show, that owner's going back and they're installing the blinds and then getting paid the second half. Interesting.
1: And so you guys are winning, like a lot of phone services, but in your specific space, the phone rings 97% of the time it's answered, 93% of the time an appointment is booked because... Just the sheer fact that you were answered the phone, then add that you have a subject matter expert. You're taught how to explain the process properly. Either the salesperson or business owner then goes to that appointment, shows up on time, you know, probably dressed, you know, properly. Logo, right, uh, logo schedule, that- gets the 50%,
0: goes back, gets the product, and then gets paid right then and there when the job is finished. Yeah. And the best part is that we're on a net 15 or a net 30 with the factory. So by the time the invoice is due from the factory, 90% of the time, we've already completed the job and gotten paid in full. So we're a no inventory, no real estate, home service, mobile business.
1: No inventory. The demand comes in, you get the confirmation of money, and then you order the product and,
0: and install it. One of the big pieces in there, so mixed into that, like I'm holding my tongue because there's so many other cool elements to that sequence that you just put in there. One of our differentiators in the industry is that we're very tech forward. It's almost fair to say that we're a tech company that happens to sell blinds. Yeah, sure. You know, In the window covering industry, you don't find your success in competing over price or product. All the products are about the same. They may have a different sticker, but from a quality deviation, they're about the same. And in the industry, we're all selling at about the same margins. And so a path to success is telling the story about the value proposition. Why pick me versus someone else? Mm. And that's the part as a franchise where we've really been able to give the franchise, franchise owners the tools to stand out because the technology allows us to send them an alert that we're driving to their house and they watch us drive to the house like an Uber. They see the little icon going across the screen. That's cool. Yeah, they get a picture and a bio. They can call us directly from that. They, can, and they know we're three minutes away. Most of our customers are women at home or at home alone with their kids. So to know that we're three minutes away, to see my picture, and then that's the same guy that rings your doorbell three and a half minutes later, Like that helps with conversions because there's a comfortability already built in. Mm. We're, on no, we're on iPads, not notepads we're using lasers to measure not steel tape measures we're doing quotes in a cloud-based quoting system so we're giving them quotes on the spot versus three days later yeah and then when they do order we're just pushing a button and the order gets sent electronically to the factory versus most window covering companies that have to go home and plug it into the factory's online ordering system manually and it's all the same product and all the same price If you're enjoying this episode, please click the subscribe button.
1: And make sure to connect with the Franchise Founders Podcast on LinkedIn. So just to make sure I understand properly, you're saying that in your space, like the margins are similar. There's only so much you can change with the product that you're ordering. What you're providing is this top level of service professional from being on time, in a polo, you know, with the logo, clean, right? you look lasers instead of tape measure, all these ingredients that make a better recipe of of professional service. With that application where they see how far the driver is, first of all, again, if I was to go start my own business, all the moving parts I'd have to think of certainly wouldn't be spending time on that. It's a great thing to have, but I wouldn't be able to. I'd have to focus on getting off the ground. And if you were focusing on that up front, you're probably doing the wrong
0: thing. Well, and you couldn't afford it the mom and pops can't compete with this because we have the leverage of a franchise organization where a mom and pop can't afford this bill. I have to pay it. I know what that bill is, and mom and pops can't afford it.
1: Just curious, what is something like a technology
0: build like that run if, if you are able to share? Well, it's a subscription base. So you're, you know, we're not developing that. We're renting it effectively. But you know, franchise owners, because we get to spread it across 60 different owners and, and they see the scalable solution, we're able to leverage that growth not only what we already have, but then they want a bite of that future growth. And we're able to bring that into a you know, really reasonable, like our software, our base software package for all of those tools is about $300 a month for a franchise owner.
1: Right. Where it would be so much more if you were an independent business. And yeah. Right. Like everything in France, like you're getting economy scale into play. And... Exactly. That's excellent. So all of this professional service. Now, I guess another question I'd have for you is, and I know we were going to get into some non-franchise talk too, but it's really interesting what you're saying. So the owner-operator model, it sounds great. The phones are ringing, appointments are made, they go, they meet with the homeowner, and then they bring back the product and they install it.
0: So what other employees do they need? Well, if you're an owner-operator, an owner-operator who's working 40, 50 hours a week can generate four to 600000 a year. And at that point, you start doing that much revenue, and you're either going to have to start giving up nights and weekends, or you're going to have to start turning down business or stretching out You're booking out two and a half three weeks, which is not good for business. So, as you slowly start getting beyond those those points, if you choose to go past your glass ceiling, and I say it that way purposely, because not everyone chooses to go past that, then you begin to put more vans on the road. That's really your first your first hire as an owner operator is a second van on the road, you don't really need an office person until you get past two vans on the road. Once you get into a third van, now you need a master of ceremonies. It doesn't matter who's in the van, whether it's the owner or all three employees, somebody has to be in the office at that point to keep it all straight, to coordinate the dance. But up until you get to you know a million plus, you really don't need anyone other than revenue-producing entities in the business. Gotcha. And they can scale into having employees. They don't need to start with any. Well, we have some ambitious owners. And that's kind of been the, the mode recently.
1: Yeah.
0: Is we're getting more and more franchise owners who say, "Look, I want to be the GM. I'm willing to start with a more aggressive plan. I'm going to hire one or two guys. I'm going to hire two guys right off the bat. And I'm going to stay in the office and I'm going to put two guys in vans and, and get them good at this and get them running. And that way I'm on the business, not in it. And it's a bigger investment and it's a bigger commitment. You got to start off more aggressively, but it totally works.
1: Yeah, I definitely know what you mean. I went through, or I'm going through this exact thing myself where I'm still figuring out what I'm going to do with when I grow up. But uh, <laughs> I know that, in my last business to get from, you know, 1 million to 2 million, 2 million to 3, like to get up in revenue. There were so many times where I would get stuck and it would take months to get out of being stuck. And so I know now for me, like I put people in place early in and you have to burn a little cash up front because you're paying them a little early, but it allows you to get right up to the top level as fast as you possibly can. I think Mm -hmm. we're probably getting franchisees that, you know, can afford to invest a little bit extra into their business to grow it quickly. Is that right? You're getting more and more sophisticated
0: type franchisees. It is. I think it's a season of the buyer. I mean, we have seen a shift over the years between, you know, in an economy state, people are getting kicked out of their jobs and they're like, look, I just want to make some good money and I don't want anyone around. And then it's slowly a shift to this point where everyone's got a job. They've been making great money and equities are up. Not. Both in the stock market and the well, unless you're in technology right now, but just money is more plentiful than it was, you know, ten years ago. Yeah, and so now I've got a lot of people who are coming in with higher net worths and higher aspirations. So we've seen it seasonally shift. I do have like I've got a confirmation day coming in Thursday, and I've got one that wants to start as a general manager, and the other one who just wants to be a pure owner operator. So it kind of just depends on. You know, who's interested at at what time. But I think also a lot of it goes into the mindset that we set for the franchise owners. When we first started franchising, we we're very timid about trying to spend other people's money, for lack of a better word. We had found success, but I hadn't really produced a recipe on how others will duplicate that. This is five, six years ago. Now that we've really honed in on the recipe on how to succeed in this industry as a franchise owner. Now we're getting much more confident about saying, look, relative to your goal, here's the steps to follow. And we're helping franchise owners enter the system with bigger aspirations because it seems like an owner's mindset is the glass ceiling of their capabilities. Interesting. And so if you come in with a bigger mindset, that gives you more room. If you came in with a small mindset, it is really hard to push yourself past whatever you had in mind when you first joined an organization as a franchise owner.
1: You see that a lot, right? Like I've been in the franchise development space for a while and you see like the averages in gross sales and net margin a lot of times so similar across the board of franchisors. Whether it's you're doing a higher amount of revenue and this much margin or a lower amount of revenue and more margin, the net profits a lot of times seem to be very similar. And what I found is you think about the average franchisee, at least in the executive becoming a franchisee space, not like the multi-unit food, franchising. But right. anyway, someone that wants to replace their executive income, they take their retirement, they get a loan, they buy a, a business, and then they get back to their income that they are making. And then they're happy, which is perfectly fine. But more times than not, to get to that next level, if your appetite is for more, you have to actually take a haircut, right? You got to take a step back a lot of times in what you're making. But then you can propel forward. So you're, you're getting more franchise candidates that want to not only build a business, but build more of an empire around them.
0: Yeah, certainly a higher percentage of them in the last couple of years. Again, we still have owner-operators coming in, love them, that's my heritage. So that's, you know, I know that model really well. Another part of it is that the window covering space hasn't really done this executive model a lot. Most window covering professionals are mom and pop shops. So... Some of it is just opening up that door to opportunity. Not a lot of people think about window coverings as something where you can scale it and scale it successfully and quickly. We've got proof to say otherwise. And so I think because we're opening up that door and proving it out, I think we're catching more interesting than we normally would if we didn't go after that. If we just stayed mom and pop, we could still be successful.
1: So let's talk about that, Chelsea. So you've been in business a long time, franchise for a few years. You got your systems down, then you started to grow. You know you're ready to continue to grow at a, a more rapid pace as far as a development side. So, when did you start working with Franchise Fastlane, and
0: can you walk through kind of that thought process and you know what that's led to as an organization? Sure. So, for anyone who's not familiar, Franchise Fastlane is a franchise sales organization (FSO). They're basically an outsourced vetting slash education group. They, They take candidates to come in and help them understand who we are as a brand and the expectations. And they do the early lift on the educational side. And honestly, they've been a great ambassador for us. And I used to do the development. I did it for the first five and a half years. So to have that off my plate has been magical. Fastlane is known as one of the top FSOs in the country one of the younger ones, but they have certainly made a splash. And my impression is that they are just genuinely good at identifying talent in the communication space. I've always been amazed that so many of the people that work with brands or that, that are my air quote sales guy, right? A lot of them didn't come from the franchising industry. I know a whole host of them that were from the recruiting world in sports or... Medical sales, I mean, like always communication background, but not all of them are just these franchising war warhorses. So when a lead comes in, Tom Ryan, big shout out to Tom Ryan. Tom takes the candidate through the journey of understanding and learning about blue and Blinds, answering a lot of those early questions. And then as they progress through the funnel, then they slowly transition into getting to know us personally. And then if it all culminates into what we call a confirmation day, and then it moves into franchise ownership. But it's a way to take all that early interest off of our plate. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. You
1: think about franchising's its own business. Are right? you already a mom and pop business, you know, three million in revenue, then you franchise. That's a whole other business, teaching people how to market and train them on your business. Your marketing and training facility, if you will. Mm-hmm. But then you have development, which is also another is really a whole other business. And so you're able to offload that to someone else who's an expert. And I agree, I think people minimalize if Fastlane has, I mean, think about, they've got three main functions, the, the development side, the understanding of how to take someone from A to Z, which is its own difficult task. Yeah. Then they've got the ability to find great people to do that, which is alone enough of an amazing thing, right? To find <laughs> yeah, seriously. We know how hard it is to find great people. Not just to find great people, for everyone on their team, really, to be great communicators. And then you got the broken relationships, which is a whole other full-time job that, you know, there's 500 brands competing for the brokers and, right. So you got all those ingredients, plus a bunch of more other things as well. So you plugged in with them, that partnership started, you brought in some more franchisees. What's the goal? Where
0: do you guys want to be in, you know, three to five years? Well, so interestingly enough, little side note on Fastlane and my story with them. Apparently, we're the only brand, at least this was according to Kerry, we're the only brand where they said, yeah, let's do it. And we said, no. And that was because of how impactful that is to your growth. At the time that we were hooking up with them three years ago, it was just myself and my two brothers and the entire company, like 50 owners and three dudes. Wow. That's the whole company, right? Like I told you, I like to put out fires. (laughs) So (laughs) we understood that we couldn't handle whatever load they were going to bring. We weren't built for it. So we went away, built an entire team, built the call center operations and training team and three facilities. And so now we can handle the weight. So we've been with Fastlane for a year, and we've added 45 locations in the first 12 months. Yeah, to slow down and speed up before joining with them. Yep. I had a soccer coach in high school who has a phrase that has stuck with me forever. Sometimes you have to go backwards to move forwards. Yeah, And that that was one of those moments. So three to five years, long-term goal doesn't even begin to touch three to five years. Our goal is to be a household brand. I have one other competitor in Budget Blinds who has done it really well. It's a world-class organization. And they have proven that a window-covering company can be a household brand. And so I look at them like the Nike. I want to be the under Armour. I had someone who showed me how to do it. They proved it could be done. But then there's another company that used all of that momentum, rode in their wake, and did it faster and bigger. That's where we're headed, but I don't think we're going to be done with that mission in three to five years. We'll be well on our way. Yeah. That's a great mission. Slowing down as a business owner, I think, is
1: a great skill to learn as an entrepreneur. I know I've recently, I don't want to say I've learned it, I'm learning it.
0: (laughs) It's forced upon
1: you. Forced upon me. Well, self imposed, maybe. Well, like, you know, for me, like I got started on my next thing so fast. You know, I sold the business, had some time off. I didn't know how to just sit still. I enjoy I think you said before you started recording, you like to put out fires, enjoy the action. And not only that, you're just used to running at a certain pace. It's hard to slow down from that. And I had to go fast again to then realize, wait a minute, I do need to slow down. I wish I did first before going fast, but there's nothing I can do about that. But I think when you slow down, and not everyone has the luxury to slow down, meaning obviously, you know, Reflections different for every person. But when you're a business owner, and you can take some time to step back and really look at things from a 30,000-foot view, you see a lot more
0: areas of improvement. I am learning to see the value of it as well. I take personal pride in seeing how many things I can juggle at once really well. Like It's part of my identity. And at times, it's a flaw. And at times, it's one of my greatest strengths. But going from a team of three people to a team of 16, then it requires that because now i got to work within a system. I'm not the system. I have to work within a system. And I can see how that's going to be better and how we can do more because of it. But I have to let go of that personal identity of being that professional firefighter. For the strength of all that it's going to build, I'm willing to do it. But I have had sleepless nights feeling like I'm useless because I'm not... Doing as much, like it's not on my fingertips. We're accomplishing far more, yeah, but I'm not doing as much, and it is literally taking me months to emotionally process this. And I, there's days where I'm better than others, but man, when you're used to being in the center of the wheel, it's hard not to be that anymore. It feels weird.
1: Yes, you know it's funny. Someone gave me the advice: go coach some of your kids' games. Get it somewhere else. Yeah, find a place to get that action if you need it.
0: You know, so you're not screwing up your business. (laughs) That's just frustrating sometimes. I just got done coaching my daughter's nine-year-old softball team. And, you know, that phrase, "hurting cats, was used quite a bit. (laughs) Yeah.
1: You know, start a side
0: hustle if you want some drama, I guess, but keep the business. (laughs) Ironically, I did. I started a side hustle because I was feeling anxious and didn't have enough going on. It's funny. I'm the opposite.
1: Right now, I crave... And I guess we always want what we don't have at that moment, right? But... I would love nothing more than for like a few years to just do one thing over and over and over and over and over, knowing it's contributing to like the greater good of a business. Whether it's if you're in Fran Dev, you do the same Zoom call with candidates over and over and over, or go to a discovery day over and over, like just repeating and growing your business. Like I think about like technology. You've really figured out technology as a product. Now, granted, that never stops, right? But maybe you got someone on your team that's making it better. Right. And you're just out there just growing the revenue, knowing it's recurring. And that's got to be a nice feeling. You know, it's just... I mean, kind of what you're doing now, right? You're adding franchisees, you're making them succeed, helping them succeed, and you're just growing your business for you know enterprise value. That's a great thing.
0: Yeah. Well, right now, we're, we're still in that stage where every dollar you make goes right back out the door for growth. It is fine. Like, you can see it happening. Right now, my comfort blanket is spreadsheets. You need data. I'll go get data. You want me to? You want me to go get data right now? I'll go get data. Okay, and it's like it's something tangible that rec- requires a two-hour grind, you know, and it's repetitive, like you said. And I get in trouble because I jump in front of spreadsheets as often as somebody needs data. I'm like I'll do it. I'll do it. Yeah. Why do you think I'm doing
1: these podcasts? <laughs> this <laughs>
0: this, this me away from your side hustle, right? Yeah. I've been told to stop meddling more in the last three months than I have in my entire life. Yeah. <laughs> and the challenge is so I've got three brothers, right? And our desks are literally in a triangle. Really? Yeah. We run the company from the same office. It's always been that way. And we're three brothers who have learned how to get along, all that fighting ended 10 years ago. But I have two very operationally gifted brothers, and I'm the visionary. I'm the daydreamer. I'm the big picture guy. I'm the oldest. The other two are very comfortable in that operational space and just don't have that gift of vision. But if I try and run with something, I end up screwing it up because I only think of half the details. And their new ideas often get so complex that it's like a workout. But you blend the three of us together and it comes out really nicely. But it means that I come up with an idea or I daydream something that we should chase. And then they say, good job, now go away. (laughs) I'm like... Like, I want to play. Did you This is a great idea. Why do I have to go? And they're like, because you're stuck at this. And I'm like, oh, okay, fine. And so then I go away and I try and daydream something else. And I come back with something else. And they're like, hey, we're not done with that thing you put us on the first time. And I'm like, oh, I got to wait. Yeah, right. Like, no. the, you, life you're, the life of the visionary. You have a visionary plus two integrators. That's a good combo. Yeah. And we've done this. Like I've literally worked shoulder to shoulder with these guys for 17 years, 18 years now. So the best part is that we've all developed into different personalities. I think it was by need to not overlap and not really destroy each other. But whenever we tackle a problem, we have like this spherical approach. It's not one-dimensional. It's not two-dimensional. It's actually three-dimensional because all three of us see the issue with different hot buttons and different challenges. And it gives us a fantastic opportunity to really look at all the pieces. And then we have a rule in the office. When two agree, it's finished. Hmm. So all arguments, all discussions, all vendors, heck, even the shirt that I wore to a conference once was decided by a vote. I lost that vote, by the way. That's nice that you have the two.
1: And then you got to buy in, right? You could feel passionate, but if you're part of the one, not the two, you got to buy in once you sign it.
0: Yeah, you can't honor it sometimes and not other times. So whether it's a $100,000 a year vendor or the shirt that I'm wearing at a conference, like they all matter or they don't matter. And so sure enough, we voted on a shirt. I had to go upstairs and change without attitude.
1: It's interesting what you're saying there, like the commitment to a decision. Like I think back, you know, a lot of times people in franchise development, they explain to candidates that franchisors, when given all the information, of course, at that point, franchisors do look for people that can make a decision quickly. And I think people think of that as a sales pitch, but... I think back to my experience as a business owner and being able to make a decision with the facts quickly and then sticking to that decision and not pivoting from it is so important. Like, I think back to my my old business partner and I were in a room and we decided to make a change that the business used to take our payments up front so you'd pay for a lead package 3 grand, 2000, 1000, 5000 and when it would be over we'd go back out and I'd go back out in that case for me and I get you to sign up for another three thousand dollar package, and so all of a sudden we're at this point where like seventy thousand dollars a month was our revenue. I'm making the number up seventy thousand in revenue, and we had this much in expenses. And every month those balances would reach zero, and you'd have to go out and get them again. And yeah. we made a decision to switch to weekly payment and move to you know to recurring revenue model. And to do that, you had to what you call what they call eat the frog, meaning. All is coming in at once. Now you're moving to maybe, you know, I don't know, whatever amount per per week.
0: Yeah, a quarter of uh, that. A
1: fourth of that. Yeah. Quarter of that, right? And it's got to come in. So you got to go through this bleeding time where you're not making any money. And at the same time, we made all these other changes. Anyway, in a room, we sat there and we wrote out what we're gonna do. We signed off on it, basically saying, This will be the greatest thing we ever did or we'll kill the business. <laughs> right? Yep. And you had to decide and believe in. That if two of us in that case, in our years three, but if two of us agreed on it, then you got to move forward with it and execute. So in your case,
0: you guys have a fact checker in between two of you. <laughs> yeah, we got a Switzerland that we have, and, and it's not always the same guy. Like, right. my youngest brother is more often than not the less opinionated. It's, you know, you got Chris and I, you know, oldest and middle, who are often most vocal. And then Kevin's often the rule breaker, but not always. I mean, we all take turns being that odd man out. That's great. It's a great dynamic. Yeah. But that fortitude and that grit, that's something we've begun to talk to candidates about like during that process in our validation calls and in conversations with them. Is, and here's a term that I've been using a lot called momentary ambition. And it's a recognition that when we meet candidates in the franchising journey, they're typically at an abnormally high ambition level whether it's fear or pain or daydreams, but most candidates we meet aren't as ambitious in real life once the dust settles as when you meet them face-to-face at a discovery day or a confirmation day. Um, And so trying to understand the gut check that goes into running a business and sticking with it and what are your ambition levels, what's your actionable status when nobody's watching those are things that we're learning as a franchise to put effort into and understand the candidate for their protection and ours, frankly. It's amazing how much the physical side of a business means so little compared to the mental side. And it is the fortitude, yeah, that thick skin, and that strong backbone. That's what it takes to run a business long-term, regardless of the widget.
1: And frankly, at every revenue milestone, too, it doesn't matter if you're a bigger business. It still takes grit.
0: It takes just as much courage to go from 100,000 to a million as it does to go from 1 million to 2 million. Yeah. Like there are still points where you go, God, I hope this doesn't ruin me. And you have to make educated decisions and stick to it. It's a great conversation, Kelsey. If, If
1: someone's listening and they want to get in touch with you, like what is the best way to do that?
0: I mean, if they want to get in touch with me personally, probably come back through the website. But if you're interested in exploring franchising, I'm a huge fan of the broker model because it's a tour guide and it's somebody that's a third party that knows how to evaluate your personality and what the brand needs and, and what you're going to need inside that brand. So I'm a huge fan of the franchise consultant space and the value they provide to somebody who's exploring a business. So yeah, if you want to talk to me, I'm on LinkedIn, Like, let's get together. But if you want to learn about Bloomin' Blinds, i talk to someone who knows about Bloomin' and Blinds and gets to know you to see if it's truly a good fit. Well said. Well, thank you for joining. It was great chatting. Likewise, man. Appreciate you having me on.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Franchise Founders Podcast. If you want our help with anything from buying a franchise to franchising your business to anything in between, shoot us an email at franchisefounders at gmail.com.